when we're talking about AV or production, we really don't have anything to show you. What we have to show you is ideas and concepts and creativity and mm -hmm. strategy and attendee perception. But really, there's not a tangible component of that. So you're taking a non-tangible, quote unquote, sale and converting it to an industry. And so that's where you'll see a lot of the synergy. And really, in the end, what we do in live events, it's what the ROI is, what the return on the investment for the people who are either participating or putting it on. So for that end goal is always a focus, regardless of what it is that you're selling or your specialty is. Welcome to Events Demystified Podcast, where we explore and demystify the world of in-person, virtual, hybrid event AV production and technology by sharing insightful tips, tricks and tactics to make your events a success. This podcast is brought to you by Tree Fan Events, a woman-owned boutique event production agency. And your host is Anka Trafan, a technical event planner and producer with almost two decades of hands-on technical experience in event production. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Events Demystify Podcast, your one-stop shop for tangible, technical, and planning advice for anyone in the events industry. As mentioned in the introduction, today's episode is sponsored by Trifan Events, and I am your host, Anka Trifan. Today on the show, I have the honor of introducing a new friend that I just made recently. And I actually had the opportunity to meet in person in Flesh and Bones and talk to her prior to today's conversation. And right off the bat, we had this synergy and I knew that we're going to be getting along just fine. My new friend, Heidi Jacobson, is not new to the event industry. She's been around for longer than she would like to admit. And as a VP business development for the live event industry, she takes charge and excels at building and managing sales team. She has an extensive experience in leadership, sales, business development, business acumen, and product marketing. She brings to the table everything that one expects from a dynamic sales executive, drive her vision, her attention to detail, and she thrives on the new challenges that each moment brings and finds her ultimate success in turning the impossible into brilliant reality. When she's not working, she enjoys working out and taking care of her special needs son. Heidi could easily fit in our previous season, Women Behind the Scenes in Events and Event Productions. I just wish that I met her sooner. And so today we'll have to continue the conversation with a focus on mental and physical fitness while we also talk event productions and we talk women behind the scenes in event productions. You can also learn more about Heidi by following the links in the episode notes. And in the meantime, it is my great pleasure to welcome her in. Anka. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you. That was very kind. I'm very flattered. And I thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. And more importantly, I agree. I think you're amazing. The synergy we have is amazing. And I think what we women can do together as a collaborative force out there is just being started that whole we women going forward. So thank you. Absolutely. 
Well, that was one of the vibe that I was getting to. And the fact that you're a lot of the things that I'm passionate about, you know, the event industry, the behind the scenes that is happening in the planning of an event. And also, you know, being passionate about your physical and mental fitness and being very hands-on when it comes to that. Like actually you're doing what you're saying, not just like yeah. wishing you were, <laughs> which yeah. a lot of professionals unfortunately are in that category. Like, yeah, well, if I had more time, I would, you know. So we're going to definitely dive into that because as it stands not only that you're operating at a very high capacity in the business world you have a special needs son but you also find time to work out i mean all of those things right like it requires a level of management of your schedule that we can all you know take notes but before we dive into that before we get to that good part let's just take a step back and start with who is heidi behind the scenes give our audience a bit of a quick dive into your journey into your event production journey and how has it developed and change over the years. Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, every single person watching this, just trying to make it, just trying to survive, hang on, move forward. There is no magic. It is just discipline and focus, as you said. I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is my journey, let's call it that, in the AV theatrical world is consistency. As we all know, our brand is our biggest asset to us. Our reputation carries us far greater than sometimes the companies or the brands for whom we work for. So personal integrity is my first and foremost thought every single time. I talk with authenticity all the time. You'll never hear me say, and I think Anka, we spoke of this early, when people say, well, to be honest, to be this, I am just that way from the onset. What I tell you is what it is. And I always tell people, you don't have to try to interpret it. I'll be straightforward with you. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. I get it. But that is, I think, what differentiates me and what my real focus is, is customer satisfaction, client getting what they need most importantly, and whatever I can do to help them achieve their goals, that's really what I'm at. You said it a bit at the onset, and I always look at myself as I'm the backdrop to your greatness. And however I can help you get there, let, let's do it together. Let's do it as a real strategic partnership. I love it. Well, I can see how honesty could potentially get you into trouble at times, just because personally, as another honest person to another honest person, I know that it doesn't always get perceived as honestly. Like people still look at it as you have a hidden motive. And here I am like, this is what I think and this is what I say. <laughs> You know, that that is so great. I think it's because we've become so jaded as a society that we think, oh, there has to be something other than there has to be something beyond something greater. And face value has lost that, i.e. the face value of what somebody is saying. And it's really a shame, too, because the pessimism of people has, I think, in sometimes preceded the optimism. And I'm not saying I'm an evangelist and I'm here to change all that. But what I can do is control my own destiny. But you're right. A lot of people will think they're either going to be rubbed the wrong way or they're going to be rubbed the right way. And as I said, sometimes I work for some and I don't work for others. And that's great. But you never have to worry 
story about authenticity. And so for that is what I stand behind. And I think that's what connected me to you the most. The fact that I knew that you're someone that says it as it is. And I love those type of people because I don't have time to figure out ulterior motives. (laughs) Like if you say the intention behind your whatever it is that you're talking about, that makes things so much easier and that keeps the communication open. And why can't we all do that better? But I feel like we're straying away from the topic. Here's what I want to hear from you because you sort of like evaded the question when I asked you. So how did you start an event production? Like give us the nitty gritty of like when I was 15. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) On those lines, like right back in the days when everything was glorious and... (laughs) right. Well, it's, it's interesting. So I'll, I'll run through my life very quickly because how I started was I, I was at the top of my game with Nordstrom back in the heyday when Nordstrom was actually the brand, the company for everyone wanted to be the epitome of, right? And so I really learned a lot of my customer service training from them. So I opened up the San Francisco stores again at the highlight and I decided that if I ever wanted to have a social life, I would need to leave retail because you can't have both, right? And so I left that I got connected with somebody whose wife happened to be in the garbage business. And my first reaction was garbage. Like how insulting. (laughs) Don't you know who I am? I'm I mean, I'm leading this regime at Nordstrom. Anyway, quick transfer. I was very, very fortunate and I got hired by a company called Browning Ferris Industries, BFI, a $10 billion multi-international company. I spent 10 years with the garbage company and learned amazing skills that incredibly professional, very profound company, very innovative, very thought-provoking, very forward-thinking. And women, even though it was a male-dominated industry, women were recognized as a really valuable component of that company. And so then I entered from the garbage end to the medical waste, i.e. blood and guts, just like you would think. Then that's all great. Then we moved to Las Vegas. And um, as a result of that, I'd been with the company for 10 years, so I was fully vested. Vegas is garbage company was not what you wanted to participate in at the time. So leaving that, so I thought, well, I'm in Vegas, I should do something Vegasy, right? And so I was very, very fortunate to be recruited and hired by a company who you'll all recognize at the time called AVW Telav, which was a Freeman company that eventually went on to carry on the name Freeman AV. I started as the assistant director of sales, went up to director of sales, and then finalized my career with Freeman AV as the national sales director, specializing on the trade show floor. I have to pause you for a second because it's so fascinating to me because you're going from retail, you're going to, I'm not sure what garbage Garbage. has, (laughs) (laughs) managing something, I guess, but then you get into AV productions and, and trade show management. It's like the perils, like where are the perils aside from sales? Yeah, well, you know what? It's because it, it's, a, it's a great question. All of it is service oriented, okay? With the exception of Nordstrom, a BFI, the garb- it was a service. And what we do is a service. Now, granted, we have a tangible component to what mm-hmm. we serve. However, when we're talking about AV or production, we really don't have anything to show you. What we have to show you is ideas and concepts and creativity and mm-hmm. strategy and attendee perception. But really, there's not a tangible component of that. So you're taking a non-tangible quote-unquote sale and converting it 
to an industry. And so that's where you'll see a lot of the synergy. And then I was very, very fortunate to, again, be highly trained by some of the best in the industry. So I did get some AV hands-on technical experience, certainly not at your magnitude. Trust me, people, you do not want me pushing buttons. I will forget the dot on the I, I will forget to cross the T, I will drive you nuts on those, but I will be your big picture, you know, rainbows and sunbursts and unicorn thinking event. You're going to sell so, the show. And at the end of the day, that's how we get the job. That's, that's, <laughs> that's exactly, I share with you a vision that you never thought of, that's going to not only catapult you as a planner, but your company to somebody who is going to be recognized and remembered. And really, in the end, what we do in live events, it's what the ROI is, what the return on the investment for the people who are either participating or putting it on. So for that end goal is always a focus, regardless of what it is that you're selling or your specialty is. Absolutely. And I'm just curious, as you managed to get into AV event production, trade show AV production, correct? Did you have to overcome any challenges? Did you have to get out of your comfort zone? What did that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So when I left Freeman AV and came over to, at the time, Encore Productions, same company, that's when I learned my production skills. And I learned very quickly that exhibits and productions are not the same. Maybe the equipment is the same, but the concept is not the same. And then being a woman, it was perceived as I don't know what I'm doing because I don't have the technical skill set. And so you have to learn at a quicker pace. You have to learn faster. And more importantly, I felt like I had to keep proving over and over and over that I know what I'm talking about. And that wasn't just to the client and the client facing and the stakeholders, but as much to my internal team as to anybody else. And I was looking around at the office and looking around to my counterparts and I thought they're not having to prove themselves. They claim that they know what they're doing and everybody just takes it at face value. Yet I being a woman, had to continuously event after event, day after day, review after review, prove my worth within the organization. Yeah. And honestly, that experience that you just mentioned, thank you for saying that out loud, because it's something that personally I've gone through myself, especially when working for other production companies. And even though I reached the highest level that someone could be under the CEO, I still had to prove myself again and again and again. And it can get tiring, honestly, after a while. Like the reason why I decided to start my own agency and do all of this for myself was because I just got tired of like mm -hmm. how much I had to do this proving and proving continuously that I'm worth to be there. And I'm like, I work the hardest yes. of all those people here. And here we are, we're having the same conversation or here we are. I have to, again, show that the reason why I'm here is because I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about and all the things. So I really appreciate the fact that, you know, especially coming from someone like you that's been in the industry for a long time and you've worked for, you know, national companies that have done large things, not just smaller events. This is a reality that sometimes I talk to my male counterparts and I try to explain how this is not just something I'm talking about because I'm like bruised. <laughs> it's <Yes>. a reality. <laughs> and they're like, well, we don't experience that. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. I am not surprised that you don't experience that. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, exactly what you're saying. And then you take it and you bring it to show site. And it's so much worse because as a woman, you're probably not invited. You're not brought into. You hear after that there were decisions being made that will reflect to the client that the client should be made aware of that you're now told to interpret to the client. Yet you weren't part of that process because I'm sorry, the small group of people had made that decision. And it's like, wait a minute, I was a viable part of that conversation. I should have had a seat at that table when these major swings or decisions were being made. And so it's very difficult in our industry to gain that credibility or to have to, again, as you've already said, it's just that constant reestablishing, wait, I'm here for a reason. I've proven myself. I have the credibility. I have the chops. I have the technical skills. You need to hear what I have to say without coming across as screaming because you feel you have to be more robust in order to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like you've seen any improvement or any strides in the right direction over the years that you've been on this journey in event productions? Yeah, I'm happy to say yes. And the reason I say yes is I look at my role with Level 5 and the men that are there. The men are very progressive. They're very open-minded. They're looking at what's the best practice. How do we get there? It's not a matter of the sex for which you come to the table. It's a matter of what are your chops? What is your experience? And let's listen to you. So I believe that companies are getting more collaborative. And the reason I think that's happening is because some of the old regime of these bigger companies are finally retiring, finally going away. They're being replaced with more progressive thinkers. And I think that's what's helping it change, but it's still not swinging as quickly, of course, as I or or you would like. Absolutely. I actually had the experience of the event that I was in Vegas when we met. Somewhat, you know, be excited that I was there, but also dealing with the disappointment of seeing how out of this large number of technicians that were in lead technical roles, the percentage of women that were in those lead technical roles was literally, I did the math, 1.82%. And that is ridiculous to me because this was a company that I really looked at as progressive, like you said, you know, someone Mm -hmm. that cares about diversity, cares about the type of people that it employs and the representation that happens from all points of view, not just from a male, female Mm -hmm. point of view, but all across the board, right? And I felt just so disappointed because I'm like, you guys are preaching such a big game. And yet here's the result that I'm seeing what's happening on the event floor. And there's such a discrepancy between what's being said what's being preached, what's put out Mm -hmm. into the world as what we actually believe in and what we stand for versus what we actually do behind the scenes, right? And that to me just felt like such a discord between the two things. And I was so disappointed. That was like the best way to describe it. I just felt disappointed. Well, you know, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. There's two people. There's people who preach it and live it. And then there's people who just spew it because they think it's the right thing to be. And unfortunately, you were in a case where people said what people wanted to hear, but they acted behind the scenes quite differently. And it's really a shame because I'll tell you, there are some amazing, technically brilliant women out there who have chosen this industry, who have spent time 
hours and money developing their skill set so they can be considered viable people to be brought in to manage something other than turning on and off a mic. But it goes back to that generational people pick their friends, not always the best candidate. And I just think that the women's resumes are stronger in many cases than some of the men. It's just how do we get people to recognize that the best person, the best skill set hasn't been hired for the job? Exactly. Yeah. And it takes some interest on the hiring manager, the labor management counterparts to be interested in knowing, okay, what type of skill set, what type of jobs you bring to the table and let's emphasize this and make you shine in this role versus, well, we just need a bunch of hands to do this, you know, and just put them all there and see what happens kind of thing, which again, it takes time, it takes intentionality and it takes desire to highlight and and empower some of those women in those roles that they do have the ability and capacity and the competency to be in some of those lead roles, right? Yeah. But if you're not even interested to give them a chance, then how are we ever going to progress from here? Yeah. And, and I think it's not going to be quick, but it's people like yourself and people like myself and, and some of our constituents who are saying, your job is to provide your client the best outcome. So do your due diligence, find the right people to get to the best outcome. And then let's face it, took a huge hit on the world. Yes, certainly our industry. So, so many of our folks left the industry. They're being replaced or maneuvered with some of these great new people that understand it, that have been in it, that maybe have been able to come out of the shadows and take those positions that they should have had a long time ago, because to your point, they have the chop. And I think people, decision makers need to know that there's so many warm bodies that have come into our industry that aren't going to serve them well. So look past that and look at the caliber of individual and hire the right people for those positions for the outcome. I, I can't stress that enough. People always say, you know, we're not doing surgery. No one's going to die on the table. What we do is live. People are spending a lot of money to put on their event, to bring people in, to pay for entertainment, to pay for food and beverage. We have an absolute life and death responsibility to deliver stellar event. So again, get past the who's who, the what's what, and go for those right skill sets. Absolutely. And let's not even like mention how much it will cost your bottom line if you have the wrong skill set in the wrong position. And with that, I want to segue us into the next question that I want to touch on. From your experience in the event industry, do you have any tips on how event managers, event planners can improve the quality of their event production without really breaking the bank? Because I think at the end of the day, post-COVID, this is like one of the biggest you know, questions that you hear. Well, AV costs so much, labor costs cost so much? Why do those behind the scenes people charge us an arm and a leg and all the things? I would love to hear your thoughts because obviously I have personal, very deep convictions about this, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, you know what? I have very personal convictions about this because people will look at me as charging too much and not award me the event. And yet what we're doing is we're charging the market rate. I'm not sure it's a fair market rate because of 
COVID and what's happened. I think a lot of companies have increased their rates to capture all the lost monies and the lost revenues. And unfortunately, the client is the recipient of getting these increases. Most of us just have really the opportunity, if you even call it that, just to do a pass-through. It's not like we're taking advantage of that and marking it up. We're just the enemy because we're presenting it. So how do you overcome that? Well, I think a lot of it is just really having those deep dives with the client to understand what is their objectives, what are their goals. Okay. Content is always king. You're not bringing people together to to talk about frivolous things. You're there to talk about something that's pertinent, something that's important, whether it's a, an SK or a messaging or a launch. Again, I think what we have to do is maybe reevaluate the allocation of budget. So before where maybe you had five desserts and six beverages, I think maybe now you have three desserts and three beverages. I think what you do is just change, again, the priorities of your budget and work within your budget to maximize the purpose of why you're bringing people together. And that's to deliver content. When you're working with any of the houses, i.e. the properties, they've got you over a barrel. They've got their exclusivities. They used to be in the heyday a little bit more flexible. You could talk through those. You could redline some of that. You could do a little tit for tat. Now they are holding you to every exclusivity. They're holding you to every premium and what have you. The way you combat it really is, again, know your game. Know what your rights are. Know how you can control some of those contractual agreements at the onset before you sign those. Ask the questions, partner with the right people who are going to give you the straight answers. Find the Annika's and the Heidi's out there that'll tell it to you the way it is so you can avoid a lot of these bait and switches that are happening amongst companies. They're happening amongst some of the newer people who, again, they're going just after the cash grab because of the dry years instead of the companies that and the people that have the integrity focused on, again, the outcome. Everything is open for discussion. Everything is negotiable. And I think going back to, like you said, finding the right partners, asking the right questions. Many times I ask so many questions of my clients because I want to understand their event so that I can provide them with the best estimate they can receive that does mm -hmm. not require a million of changes post signage. Because there's also a scenario in which, oh, I got the best quote ever. I'm going to sign it right now. And then the questions start and then there are the add-ons and then they kept coming and coming so what you thought you're going to pay in the beginning does not match what ends up being the final bill those are little strategies things that if you're not aware of you're going to fall victim to having like you said the people that with integrity will tell you straight off the bat this is what's going to cost you this is what you need based on the information that i collected so far now if you're not giving me all the information if you're telling me that you have a two-day show but actually it's two day and a half like we need to be honest with each other. <laughs> yeah, yes, and it goes both ways. You know, you said it. There's there's people that will look at the bottom line and and it's funny. I was just on a call earlier today where somebody was asking me to itemize my budget. And I said, well, my budget's not going to change. If I'm telling you it's $5, it's $5. Why does it matter if 150 is here and 50 cents is here and 25 cents is here? I said, $1 is $1, $5 is $5. And the thing of it is, knowing what all those little items are isn't going to help make your decision different. What's going to make the right decision is providing the information. It goes back to garbage in, garbage out. If you're going to withhold information and you're not going to provide me what I want, 
I'm going to give you a quote that's going to look really good on paper. And then you're going to wonder why during the course of the show or the course of the pre-production, I'm telling you, well, that's going to be an extra five hours. So that's going to be an extra this. So that's going to be extra this. By withholding information, you're not doing yourself a disservice. You are just raising your budget like crazy. And then you're like, oh, wow, how did that happen? Well, because you went with the lowest price without really doing your discovery of whom it is you're dealing with and the credibility of the company who you're dealing with. Everybody will put on paper what they think you want to see. That's not the reality of the situation. I love seeing agendas right when I'm doing the initial proposal and it's because then I can deduct knowing the type of event. What are we talking about? Even when it comes to equipment, number of microphones, number of laptops, number of bodies in seats, things like that, that eventually if you keep adding on, mm-hmm. it will definitely change your budget. Because let me tell you, if we're accounting for 10 hours of labor, but the day of it's going to become 14, you're automatically going to overtime. Could Absolutely. we have managed? overtime better if we knew in advance that this is where your sessions start and end and where we could allocate breaks or we could actually bring in a different crew? Absolutely. But if I don't know, I go in assuming this is what the show is. So I'm like very passionate about this because it goes all into that negotiation. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, I feel like you probably will agree with me here, you know, as someone that many times had to fight in a way for a seat at the table, right? With the AV guys, I had to really work on my negotiation skills to bring a little extra to the table. And I became really good at being able to look at proposals and estimations and translate that and also make sure that the client gets what it needs because I need to be extra. It's not just the fact that my skill set in my AV production world has to be top notch, but also my negotiation skills had to be top notch. And I had to have those conversations. I had to like bring it to the table and be able to show, like you said, you know, prove again and again that I know what I'm talking about, show that I'm there for a reason. And also I can create this experience that the client requires with the tools at hand in the best possible way with the budget in mind, but also without cutting corners. Amen to that. I'll tell you. And it's think. You're asking the questions not because you don't understand. It's because you understand so well that you know that this is going to come up. This is going to come up. Your experience, your history, everything you've done prior to that is what's prompting you to ask these questions so that you can save your client for the mishap that you know are going to happen. And I don't think people appreciate that enough. What you're doing is saving them from night of no sleep from grief or having to go back to whomever and say, you know what, the decision I make is going to cost you an extra $50,000 because maybe I wasn't as forthcoming as I should have been with my quote unquote partner. And to me, that's no partnership. That's a vendor and a client. And you're never going to win when it's a vendor and a client. And whether you're a meeting planner externally, a third party, or you're a meeting planner in-house, you still have to come to the table as an open-minded partner when you're dealing with the you or I, because there has to be that synergy because the ultimate goal, again, is to make everybody look good and to work within that budget. It goes back to part of the conversation you and I had had, Annika, early on. If I, as your production experiential partner, if it doesn't make sense for me to do your breakout because I can't compete with your in-house costs, I 
personally feel it's my obligation to say to you, why don't we go in-house for this? And why don't I do what's the more grandiose, more important component that your in-house companies can't do? Let them do what they do best. And that's your simple, more routine AV. Let me come in. But that way, what we're doing is utilizing your budget the best instead of you paying a 25% premium for me to come in when they're more than capable of doing that part of it. And I think what we don't do enough is, again, present to the client the right solutions. And the right solution always is sometimes not for me or not for you to do it at 100%, but to have these collaborative conversations, to find the right partners that make logical sense instead of me trying to do it all. My job is to provide you the final outcome. That means finding the right partners to do what they do best in their space and maybe more cost effective than I. That to me is what a partnership is. I love that. And it goes into a topic that we're going to touch on right after our short break, competition, because I'm so passionate about that. I am so happy that you actually mentioned it because the fact that someone that is in a position to produce the entire event can actually say to the client, I am okay with just taking general session and making the best it can be and partnering with this in-house AV company so they can do the breakouts. Because there's a lot of production houses out there that would rather just take it all Mm -hmm. and then go through a bunch of hoops to basically produce both the general session and the breakouts when they have no capacity to do that. Mm-hmm. And then that obviously it has layers of overhead in pricing for the gear, for the labor, for everyone that's involved that could have saved the client a lot of money if only they were willing to admit that they don't have to do it all. But there's yeah. so much ego sometimes like that is just like embedded in this conversation. And the fact that, no, we got to have to do it all. I'm like, that is not your partner that you want to work with if they cannot willingly say, I know that I will shine the best in this place and I know who can do the best for you in this other side of the Mm -hmm. event and we Mm -hmm. can work together. Absolutely. And the outcome will be spectacular and we're going to keep you in your budget and you're going to sleep better at night because you've got peace of mind going in. Again, I know we're going to break, but if I can just say it's the same type of thing. I brought Anka into an event that I have. Why? She's the best. She can do it better than I can. That's her sweet spot. That's where her expertise lies. It is my obligation to my client to bring the best solutions to them. She is the best solution. We have to get out of our own way and remember what's important. And that's the client satisfaction. I love that. At the end of the day, it is about that, the client satisfaction, the fact that we can all work together if we are in the right mindset. And we all remember who is the ultimate goal for this event. So I would love to touch more on this. Let's take a quick moment to acknowledge our podcast supporter and sponsor, and we'll be right back. I think there's so much more to be talked about here, (laughs) Heidi. So don't go anywhere. Stay with us. Right here for you. Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifan Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifan Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation 
treatment while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. To find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable, go to trifunevents.com. Coming back to our conversation with our featured guest today, Heidi Jacobson, VP Business Development for the live events industry, a visionary that moves forward with vision, drive, and a strong integrity who can be counted on. Heidi, I am having a blast having this conversation with you. And I mean, talking about audiovisual is always fun for me. So here's something that obviously a lot of the industry is trying to manage right now, which is audiovisual services and the internet. They are critical to every meetings, every event, yet it can be so tricky to negotiate the right pricing and it can be intimidating, especially for a lot of event professionals that are not entirely comfortable in this technical production realm. So as an insider for this global event production company that you mentioned, I am curious if you have any tips on getting the best possible service and negotiate the best price and also maybe strategies, tips on making the best when it comes to those in-house exclusives that that you alluded to earlier in our conversation. Yeah, that's tough. And that, I, that's a mouthful. Again, pre-COVID, you had, they had, he had, she had a lot more latitude because the money really isn't at the AV level for the properties. It's the food and beverage and heads and beds. That's where the profit is. That's where the money comes from. But because of the situation that they're in and the in-house provider does pay a percentage back to the hotel, it's all greed now. And the greed has always been there. It's just exploited more. So negotiating is harder than it's ever been. But they're up to 25, 30% service charges now to sometimes bring in a third party. And then even on top of that, I've seen break room service charges, daily charges, technology um, charges, Wi-Fi charges. Absolutely. Electrical um, rigging. And by the time you like look at this breakdown, you're like, what is happening? <laughs> Yes, plug in, plug out, flip a switch. Patch fees. Yes, they, they're going everything that they're entitled to, they're grabbing. So how do you overcome that? You educate yourself. You just know what's within your contract. And again, goes back to don't sign anything without knowing it. Try to negotiate maybe lower AV fees. And in addition to your food and beverage, don't look at these as mutually exclusive. Look at these as full contractual. That's really the only way you're going to get it. Again, the AV component, small to the big picture, but you need the big picture to offset these costs. So again, don't separate the two when you're negotiating, negotiate the time that you will be on the property and all the monies that your company will be delivering to that company, that space, that property. I think you have to leverage everything you have all at once in order to shift that needle because it's not changing. It's not changing anytime soon. And the thing of it is, the more we accept it, which we are maybe begrudgingly, but we're accepting it will become the standard pricing. A quick little analogy is I remember when the, the little TY stuffed animals were really big. I don't know how many of you remember that, but everybody wanted those, right? So McDonald's got the licensing to be able to do it. Do you know that McDonald's upped their happy meal 
by 10 or 15 cents for the cheeseburger and like five or 10 cents for the hamburger, knowing that the public would pay it because they wanted those TYs. Okay, those TYs ran for what, three weeks? Do you ever think that you ever saw a reduction of that price? No, the Happy Meal never went back. It just became what was considered a custom price. And, and you know what's funny? It. Years upon years and decades later, parents still fall to the trap of kids wanting the Happy Meal only for the toy. Only for the toy. And the thing of it is, is you can buy the toy by itself, but it costs the same much as the Happy Meal. So you might as well buy the Happy Meal. But again, that set the standard of pricing. Okay. So the pricing that's going to be considered standard, whether we like it or not, is not going anywhere. And so again, it's incumbent upon each and every one of you uh, to negotiate intelligently and to negotiate the big picture, not just the AV or the internet. You'll never win. Telling you right now, I was there. I was with them. What are some then maybe concessions that you can ask for, like something that is not that known to the event planners that they could potentially, you know, ask for maybe hey, how about we move in the day before? How about we get free storage rooms for our gear? How about we remove whatever the patch fees and instead, or the liaison? Like, do we need all three bodies of a liaison on the property just to be babysitting the production company that's setting up? What, you don't like the shadow upon the tech upon the tech? (laughs) What, what, you don't like three people to stand around and watch each other? Right? Like, what's the point? (laughs) Seriously. No, I get it. I'll put you to work. You better not be on my show because I'll put you to work. (laughs) I, I, well, Right. And if I were a client, I'd I'd want all three people. I'd want to show, show, you know, going back to math, show me your work. You know, what I would do and what I would suggest is find out who's preceding you. What event is preceding you? And the reason I say that is if they've got rigging, look to see what their designs are. Because if you've got a rig in the air, and those costs have been paid for, then maybe you can call that company and you can say, hey, what if you don't strike it, you leave it up, I help cover those costs. And let me make the analogy to this. When people get married in a church, okay, a lot of times there's one right after another. Well, some of those brides will go in and say, hey, listen, how about if we share the cost of the floral? I love what you're doing at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm coming in at 12 o'clock. What if we take that, divide it by three ways and share those costs and unburden ourselves, assuming all those costs. So when you're going in and negotiating space, again, who's in there? Who's preceding you? What can you capitalize on that's already there, already plugged in? And see if you can negotiate something with the previous owner of that space. Load in, load out, same thing, loading dock. Those are things that people really don't think about, but those are really very expensive to do, especially on a loading dock where some of those have to place a person just to stand there and watch you unload. I mean, those are those prices that you will find those plus, plus, pluses that Anka, you referred to earlier, where if you look at the bottom line and you think, how is this much more expensive than this one? Because this guy was smart. He knew what all those costs would be. He added those in so you'd have no surprise. This is the guy who's trying to bait and switch you, take all those out and just nail you afterwards with a change order and say, oh, well, these were the costs of working here. 
So it goes back down. I keep coming back to integrity of the companies and the people for whom you work with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you made an excellent point there. Like for anyone that's listening right now, like I actually have used the strategy before with rigging or even with LED screens, projection screens, like anything that is somewhat difficult and it takes a long time to strike or to set up. If you can leverage some of the equipment that's in the room, negotiate with the production house that honestly, unless they have another big show someplace else, they'll be happy not to have to strike at midnight that night just because Mm -hmm. they need to get their gear out so you can move in first thing in the morning. Again, goes back to knowledge and asking the right questions so that you can find a way around what is it that we have options to do here, even though we are, you know, sort of like tied into this contract that kind of ties our hands, you know, and there isn't much that we can do. So wanting to move a little forward as we continue our conversation here, and we mentioned a little bit the co-petition and actually on a previous episode that I had the CEO of Silver Draft Computing join me. And I just, anyone that's listening, I'd love for you to go and listen to that episode because that's another one of those testimonies of someone that comes from a completely different space and then is able to shine and thrive in a technology production field where women are just not just falling into by default. And it was just such a fascinating story. We were talking about this mindset that combines competition and cooperation that has the ability to, you know, really help support small businesses, events, but also clients. And if we understand how it works, how the roadmap of this thing works, we can certainly, you know, take advantage of the fact that we can work together, take advantage of our partnerships in a way that supports both sides. So with that in mind, I'm curious, Heidi, if you have any thoughts on how can small to medium-sized enterprises collaborate better for the client's best interest in mind and the best outcome of the event? Yes, it's a great question. And I think there is a plethora of opportunity there. And the reason why is a couple of things. From a financial standpoint, the small businesses overhead is a fraction of what the big businesses overhead is. So right out of the gate, nine out of 10 times, you're going to get a highly competitive bid because you don't have all these plus pluses for which they have to pay for. The small business, we have everything to lose and so much to gain because you don't have that safety net to fail. You have to do good. So the attention to detail for small businesses is absolutely escalated. So you've got better price points, you've got better focus, better attention. And the companies that have the courage to go into business by themselves, they know their talent, they know their skill sets, they know that they can do the job. So think about it as somebody like myself, it's in my best interest to partner with those small companies who, again, we have everything to gain and so much to Unfortunately, the mentality is they're small, so how can I rely on them? They're small, so what if something happens? So they take this safe road and go with these big monopolies out there who really don't care always with the outcome because they're the monopoly. If you're not happy, fine, go somewhere else next time. So we have to shift the mentality that small does not mean incapable. We have to shift the mentality that small does not mean don't care. Small means absolutely the opposite and more so. That is their bread and butter. And again, that's why I called Anka for this particular project, because I knew that I would have a fully committed, vested 
partner for this project versus somebody else who it was just their gear or just another one of their hundred things on the schedule that hopefully that they'll pay attention to. Absolutely. And I had this experience, honestly, it was such a hard, you know, pill to swallow when I've been told by a larger, you know, conglomerate of AV production company that, well, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. I'm like, you're telling me two days before the show, (laughs) if you don't like it, go somewhere else. I don't have no choice, but, you know, to bend backwards to make this happen is like you said, we have everything to lose and everything to gain. Yes, that's exactly I love it. It's actually, it's saying it out loud, straight up on the line because I care so much about this event because it is tying, you know, my brand, my reputation into Mm -hmm. if we make this event successful or not. And for someone like a larger company that has their pipeline filled and they could care less if they serve this client versus that client, that's just another number on the paper, another line on their schedule. If people stop thinking bigger is better, bigger is bigger, period. Yeah. All right. So last topic on our list, we're coming to time, but it has to be mentioned because it's so important. And I so appreciated the fantastic conversation that we've had so far. I'm so glad that we got to sit down and talk about all the things. And I mean, it feels like we could talk way more about this. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> there's a time frame that we got to try to stay within, okay? So here's something that I wanted to touch on as we're coming to a conclusion here. And again, thank you so much for, you know, bringing your integrity and your authenticity to the conversation. It's not just saying things, it's because you live them and because you believe in them. So with that, let's go into the topic of mental and physical fitness. It's something that for me personally is very very important just because I lived through seeing what a difference it makes in my life, especially in a industry where we are so constantly bombarded with overwhelm and burnout and just running from one thing to another. And even as we were recording this, I was telling Heidi, I'm like, I feel like today is been running away from me at a speed that I just cannot control. And one of the main things out of this is I haven't actually had the time yet to work out, which really, as much as it sounds like I'm I'm taking time away from my schedule to go and put into this workout. What that does, actually, it fills me back up with energy and stamina so I can go through the day when my day is just out of control. So I feel like it's so important for every event professional out there to really put the mental fitness and their physical fitness as a priority in their life because it will not only enhance the ability to cope with stress and improve your physical health, but also your productivity at work. Like I do things so much faster when I'm focused and I'm in the zone. So when it comes to your own mental and physical fitness, Heidi, what are some strategies or tips that you can share with us that you use to keep your body fit and your mind sharp. Yeah. Oh, thanks for asking. And and listen, it's not always easy. I mean, I run hard like everyone else does. And we women have a tendency to think that if we take time for ourselves, that we're very, very selfish. And that how dare we when we should be cooking or doing. Yet, if we don't nourish ourselves, how can we nourish others, right? And so Listen, I made a decision. First of all, my day goes like everyone else's. It goes very chaotic. I've never been an exerciser at night because too many things come in and I get waylaid, waylaid, waylaid. And then I just flat out don't flip and want to do it. Okay. So I have always been one of those people. I wake up at, you know, five or 6 a.m. Family's still not 
in need of me. Work still really isn't going. And at first I do is I knock out my workout. Okay. And then I've never been one of those people. Oh, I need coffee. I need coffee. No, I mean, I already have endorphins going. I'm already coming into work. I've got six miles down or three miles on the bike or whatever. And I'm already in that go space. Yeah. Okay. The other reason I really value my workout is because I do have an only child and God forbid something happened to myself or my husband. There's no one that's going to take care of Taylor. So I have to take care of me. I have to physically be as fit and mentally strong for as long as possible. And that's not going to start tomorrow. That starts today. It's really what we do for our bodies today is what be able to support us when we need them tomorrow. I don't do a lot of alcohol. It's not my thing. I have my issue is chocolate. I love chocolate. For every drink that somebody downs, I'm down in a piece of something. Okay. So we all have our vices. Don't give up your vice. It's important. Okay. Try to get some that's really important. I mean, operating with one eye open, it does nobody any service. And going back to what we said, what we do a lot of attention to detail. I already know I suck at it, can't be bothered with it. So therefore, I can't operate on less sleep because that puts me further behind the eight ball. And you know what? When you're having those moments, it's okay to take them. My dad taught me a long time ago. I was very fortunate. My dad was a counseling psychologist. So he would say, you know what? If you need those five minutes to cry, take those five minutes, but set the alarm. So when those five minutes are done, it's done. If you need to take that moment, take that moment. It's okay. So give yourself the same grace you would give your friends. Give yourself the same longitude, latitude that you would give your children or your husband. I mean, it goes back to the saying, treat yourself as you would your friend. Now, do I do that every day? Probably not as good as I should, but do I work out consistently? Absolutely. Do I wash my face every night before I go to bed? six out of the seven days, you bet. But again, make it a priority, figure out what works for you. And don't deny yourself the ability to stay mentally, physically healthy. It's critical to your success and everybody around you. And that was the takeaway. Thank you so much, Heidi, for sharing it. Now, if anyone would love to learn more about you and what you're up to, where can they connect with you? Thank you. All right. Well, you know, my email, Heidi.Jacobson, level5.theexpo group. You know, we really do amazing stuff. I chose to be part of level five. I left the big companies purposefully, intentionally to be part of level five because culturally we align. And then again, product quality, I'm proud of. So I'm happy to help. I'm happy just to chat. I like Anka. I loved meeting her. I loved finding another woman who was powerful, who was opinionated, who's getting things done. I'm at the tail end of my career. Let me tell you, I just turned 60. And so happy birthday. Thank you. Well, it just says that you have so much to contribute to this industry because you've had so much experience and you've seen so much. Yeah. Like I said, if I can just, if you just want to pick my brain or ask me a question, do it. I mean, if I can't give back and pay it forward, then I've learned nothing. And in the world that I live in with my son, it's all about paying it forward and, and giving back. I mean, that's super important to me. So don't hesitate to call. I'll tell you the same thing I tell my mom if she calls and I push her to, can I call you back? It's not that you're not important. It's just you're not important that five seconds right now. But I will return your call, I promise. 
<laughs> I love it. All right. Well, anybody that would love to learn more about Heidi and connect with her, we're going to have those links in the episode notes. This is it for today's episode. Thank you so much, Heidi, for sharing all those tips that you've shared with us and your knowledge and the fact that you joined us on the air. This was amazing. So I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for you, Anka. You're amazing. You do great work. So thank you. Thank you. For everyone that's listening, please take a moment to subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel for the podcast that basically houses all of the video episodes of the last season, women behind the scenes in events and event productions, as well as the episodes of the current season, mental and physical fitness for event professionals and all the other sneak peeks that we share on there. And with that, stay healthy, happy and fit, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Events Demystified podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to review it, rate it, and share it with other event professionals that could benefit from it. Connect with us on social at Events Demystified Podcast. We would love to hear from you and what you're up to. If you'd like to learn more about Tree Fan Event Services and find out if we're a good fit in supporting your event, can we help your event be successful with a 20-minute free consultation? Link in the episode's notes. Thanks for tuning in.